0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Blacklist, where I discuss the lives and legacies of Black Hollywood. I know it hasn't been too long since the last episode of our first season, which is available in its entirety on SoundCloud and iTunes, but I felt inspired to come back. It was a smaller mini-season while I'm in the middle of preparing for the next full season, which will be back early next year. But while I was preparing that season, and while I was writing the last one, one of the things I always enjoyed the most, aside from discovering more and more about the lives of Black artists that I admire was the films. I love talking about films. And more than that, I love talking about Black films. I love talking about Black films that many people probably haven't, but definitely should see so for this mini season which we are almost through that's exactly what i'm doing that's all i'm doing i'm going to talk about six black films that i've selected at complete random that i enjoy hate secretly enjoy and love and this week we discuss body and soul released in 1925 not to be confused with the 1947 film body and soul which you should also see but this film was written, directed, produced, and distributed by Oscar Micheaux. Body and Soul is iconic for many reasons in my eyes, but most notably is that this is the feature film debut of one Paul Robeson, a man who needs no introduction. The original cut of this film was denied approval by the Motion Picture Commission of the State of New York because it was sacrilegious and would incite crime or whatever. So Michaud re-edited the film twice, and the original version is lost to history. But the version I watched is still pretty damn good. It's one of my favorites, so prepare for me to be completely biased, as if I haven't already, Uh, because if you've been listening this entire time, you should already expect that. So... The film follows a noted criminal posing as a man of God named Reverend Jenkins, played by Robeson, who is on the run. Eat your heart out, Beyonce and Jay-Z. So he and his friend, a fellow criminal, travel to Tatesville, Georgia, which just sounds like it is overrun with real country-ass niggas. And it actually is. In the opening scene of this film, we follow Reverend Jenkins to a bar where he meets the proprietor, who has very bad teeth. They drink and talk about the backroom dealings of this small town. This is intercut with scenes in a house that is more of a one room deal, where a plus size, mostly disheveled looking mother, sister Martha Jane, played by Mercedes Gilbert, and her light skinned, silky haired, thin daughter, Isabel, played by Julia Teresa Russell, both live. Sister Martha Jane is ironing nightgowns, which she will do throughout the course of the film, among other odd jobs. Then we go back to the bar where Reverend Jenkins asks the proprietor for a contribution, saying that it's for the church. And he leaves drunk after he is eventually given the money, stumbling and struggling to make it back home. While in a much more civilized home, Sister Martha Jane sits and reads her Bible. On another afternoon, Yellow Curly Hines of Atlanta comes into town. This is Reverend Jenkins' fellow criminal friend who will help him carry out his scheme. He is taken to the Reverend's home and brought up to speed on all the dealings in this town. While back at the one-room shack, Isabel wakes up, presumably late, and stands over her mama, who is asleep in a chair, and her mama reveals that she's had a terrible dream the spelling is terrible, which is supposed to help the audience understand that the intelligence level of sister Martha Jane is less than her daughter, even though her daughter speaks perfect English, but where would she have learned it from if not her mother? This is one of the many critiques of Oscar Michelle's films. But anyway, back at the bar from the opening scene, called the Autumn Leaf Social Club, the proprietor is letting Yellow Curly in on some of his backroom dealings and tells him that he tries to entertain the boys when they off work, especially on pay nights. And this crook is weaseling his way into the card game, and the proprietor is just revealing everything to this man, who is so clearly a criminal. That he is a card game with liquor and everything. It's nuts how trusting all of these people are. But I guess times were different. Then we get to a church service where Reverend Jenkins is preaching and everyone is dressed in their Sunday best, complete with the biggest and fanciest church hats you have ever seen. The rumor is that the fancier the church hat, the closer to God you are. That has not been confirmed. Reverend Jenkins is trying to focus on spewing bullshit to these unsuspecting and very trusting people but can't stop looking at Yellow Curly, who showed up and sat in the front row for whatever reason. Then we flash back to a prison cell, and this is the part in the film where their bond is made clear. They're brothers in crime. Reverend Jenkins is trying to shift focus and regain control in his church by telling some lame jokes, but he and the man in the front row seem not to be able to shake one another. And then after the church service, the man introduces himself to the congregation, and he seems to be fixated on young Isabel, who isn't the least bit interested, but is pinched by her mother until she agrees to go out with this man. Much to her dismay, which she doesn't hide at all. Reverend Jenkins and Yellow Curly later have a drink and a smoke, while elsewhere the older men reveal that he was looking for girls for his variety show and that Isabel appeals to him. Lies, lies, lies. But then back at Reverend Jenkins' apartment, he gets an idea that he and Yellow Curly would do something devious that will be mutually beneficial for the both of them. Then back of the shack, Isabel brings home her longtime beau, Sylvester, so that he can ask her mother for permission to marry Isabel. And her mother, who is ironing again, Sister Martha Jane, does not hold back her feelings about Sylvester, saying, what's that nigga got to marry you on? Yes. Yes, I feel that all day. Then Isabel says the word nigger is vulgar and her mother shouldn't use it, but whatever, girl. Sylvester feels Incurably defeated, and tries to appeal to Sister Martha Jane's motherly side, but it doesn't work. Isabel and her mother argue, and this is intercut with scenes of Yellow Curly drinking brown liquor straight from the bottle and laughing as Isabel's mother irons and disciplines her. But then she comforts Isabel, saying that she's saving money to give to her future husband. And do you know who Sister Martha Jane intends to marry her off to? Reverend Jenkins, whom Isabel says is a drunkard and a sinner because women always know, but he also doesn't really hide it well. Church blacks just see what they wanna see and that's the tea. And her mother loses it and fucking shoves Isabel, face palming her onto the bed. It's it's so hilarious. I had to watch it over three times. And then there's a knock at the door and it's the girl, Sis Caroline and Sis Lucy, district grand matron of the House of Ruth, a title. They come over still dressed in church attire, of course, uh, to gossip. Elsewhere, Yellow Curly and the bar proprietor are gambling, and the pastor nurses a hangover, while Sylvester and Isabel have a nice daytime stroll. And once the pastor has recovered from his hangover, he moseys on over to Sister Martha Jane's house and is greeted by the little old ladies who simply stand for him. They do the motherly thing and try to get him to sit down and eat and brush his clothes and shine his fucking shoes. And they rave about his sermon, but He's there for Isabel, who was sent to a dressmaker, but obviously she didn't go there as she is with Sylvester. Then she walks into the offering and there is Pastor Jenkins saying he's been called upon to talk about her soul, which looks like absolute bullshit. Then he uses his pastor privilege to get alone with her and excuses all the old women because men fucking suck. But Isabel won't even look at him. Then a little later, her mother runs back in and Isabel runs to her in tears. She doesn't love this man, it's clear she doesn't even know him. Side note, at this point in the film, you may notice that Reverend Jenkins and Sylvester look exactly the same. Well, that is on purpose because they are long-lost siblings and are played by the same actor, who did not receive more money for playing two characters. But back to the film. So, Isabel is crying in her mother's arms, and Sister Martha Jane I just love saying her whole name. Sister Martha Jane motions for Reverend Jenkins to come over and comfort Isabel, which makes my skin crawl. But he says that it's the work of the devil and that the child is becoming worldly the nerve of her. Then, Sister Martha Jane leaves them alone again for no reason at all. And Isabel is distraught. I'm talking mascara running down her face, distraught. However, This doesn't stop Reverend Jenkins from getting physical with her, tying her hands behind her back until she gives in to him. Then later, her mother comes back in, and Reverend Jenkins tells her that the Lord has won the battle for the child's soul, and leaves. But Isabel doesn't look cured. In fact, she looks worse than when he started working on her, and Sister Martha Jane notices and tries to comfort her with food, but this only makes her cry harder, confusing everyone involved, especially me, And just as her mother is about to leave to get fresh food, she has a revelation. The work of the Lord has taken over. Then when she leaves, Isabel passes out. But don't worry, she wakes up soon after. She has no audience to entertain her. So she just sits and cries, restlessly. Then we go to Reverend Jenkins, sneaking around town, doing Lord knows what. While back home, Isabel comes up with a plan to leave. She packs all of her stuff and gets dressed while her mama is running around town getting her fresh food and, of course, gossiping with her friends who always seem to dress like church ladies. Isabel writes her mother a letter and tearfully leaves her home. But who was watching all the time but Pastor Jenkins. Isabel's mother doesn't know that she's run away. Thinking that she'll be returning soon, she sits in gossip with her crew and then reveals to them that she's been saving up to marry Isabel off. And they ask her, where does she keep all of her money? Then she goes to count the money they have saved, saying that she always keeps her money in her Bible because no sinner would dare go near that sacred place. What a joke. Then she flips through all the pages of the Bible, turns it upside down, goes through the drawers, and the money is gone. And then she says that Isabel hid the money to scare her, you know, as a joke, ha ha ha. But then she finds the note that Isabel wrote saying that Isabel stole the money and ran away into please forget your broken hearted daughter. Then in Atlanta, the city is big and industrious and a sharp contrast to Isabel's home in Georgia. We get shots of huge building and cars on the streets are populated with people and under the Decatur Street viaduct is Isabel, clearly overwhelmed by her surroundings. Months go by and Isabel is poor and hungry and incredibly sickly, her hair looks greasy and gross she's thinner than usual and the dark circles have permanently moved in underneath her eyes she wanders through alleys trying to find food but her mother finds her because mothers always will they play somber music as isabel scrapes together pennies to buy and sullenly eat rotten food and her mother watches from afar heartbroken she came at just the right time because mothers always do a kind man buys food for isabel when she thanks him profusely her mother still not intervening as she walks down a filthy street tiredly, then goes back to her empty apartment. And it seems that even though I did not think they could make her dark circles look worse, they have worsened. But her mother followed behind her. And as Isabel's mother walks in, she lifts her into her arms and cradles her on her lap like an infant. And Isabel just gives in and cries in her mother's lap like a baby. It's really beautiful to watch because Isabel has been through a lot. And I'm about to tell you exactly what I mean by that. Later on, after her mother has cleaned her up and made her change her clothes, she begins to question her motives. And it is revealed that Isabel is broke and she didn't take the money from her mama. And she ran away to avoid explaining the truth to her mother. Then it is revealed that Reverend Jenkins has the goddamn money. Well, upon hearing that, her mother loses her shit On Isabel, because she thinks that Isabel is lying. She thinks that Isabel would go to all these lengths and come so close to death only to lie. So Isabel finally, finally tells her the whole story. There was an evening when Isabel got caught in a storm and didn't make it home until morning. She and the Reverend got stuck on a random road because their horse ran away. The wind and rain nearly blew them off of their feet, They were getting soaked and blown every which way. They were lost, running around in circles for hours, barely able to see beyond their hands. So around midnight, the pair found a deserted cabin, which was filthy, and Isabel was freezing. So they lit a fire to stay warm. So the good reverend offered to leave the room while Isabel changed and dried her clothes. And then a little later on, he walks in on her completely naked, with a scandalous look on his face, and her hair is unsightly. So he backs her into a corner with just her top covering her naked body, completely terrified. And the film shows his feet tiptoeing into the room underneath the door, and then tiptoeing out a half hour later. So you can only imagine what has happened to Isabel. After all of that, she thought that Sylvester would protect her, which is why they went to Mama asking for her permission to marry. But what did Mama do that day? she sent Sylvester away and left Isabel alone with the evil-ass reverend again. And as soon as she left, Isabel screamed and tried and tried to get away, but he was faster and stronger. So the reverend tried to kill her, twisting her arms until she could no longer physically resist. Then he forced her to give all of Mama's Bible money, which he called blood money, and Isabel garnered the strength to say to him, and I quote, You white-livered, lying, hypocritical beast. To steal my poor mother's money? And he says, tell her mama that Isabel stole it and gave it to him because he knew that her mama would believe the good reverend over any living soul. He tries to leave, and Isabel tries to wrestle the money from him. Then he punches her in the face, and it's just so poorly done. Like, he just kind of puts his fist to her face, and then she jumps and falls against the door. But we're supposed to assume that he punched the shit out of her. Then... He tells her, as she leaves, that there is nothing she can do but leave and catch the 4.30 train for Atlanta because he planned for this. When she tells him that she has no money, he gives her some money. Ten dollars, to be exact, and tells her that it'll last her for a week, and that maybe, if he felt like it, he may come to Atlanta and marry Isabel. With no explanation to give Mama, she had to run away. They play this song about working for blood money while well, a montage of all the hard work we can only assume that Mama did, like ironing and picking cotton and other degrading things to earn that money. And this asshole just took it. So Mama says, bet. And remembers back to that same day when she finds this motherfucker looking smug driving off in a new car as she carries, presumably, somebody else's laundry walking down the street. What a dick! She and Isabel make up, and Mama tries to put Isabel to sleep as if she were a little girl again, reading her the Bible. But Isabel is sick from her time in Atlanta, and then she fucking dies. She dies, y'all. Isabel just dies. When I say that this is the last thing I expected to happen, this is not an understatement in the slightest. She just dies. Then we go back to Tatesville to the Sunday service. And everyone is again dressed to the nines in their Sunday best, awaiting the good reverend sermon. He makes everyone pay their tithes. And soon enough, the table is full of money for this asshole. And an hour later, he is still preaching because this is a black church and people are still giving money to this crook, which is composed of mostly women, actually, which is not very uncommon for black churches. This goes on for several subsequent church services, and the people get really into it, the women especially. They're catching the Holy Ghost from his preachings. They can't sit still. But do you know why his preachings have become so lively? Because he's drunk during church, drinking probably gin out of a water glass, and a young man catches the Holy Ghost, then an old woman catches the Holy Ghost, and the whole church is jumping like a nightclub when Sister Martha Jane storms in hair disheveled and confused as fuck to what is going on. And then she tells everyone that Isabel is dead and that it's the Reverend's fault in the middle of the church service. And then she told them the whole story and everyone instantly turns on him. And now everyone is literally hitting him with Bibles and fists beating this nigga's ass out of the church. They literally whooped his ass out of the door. Then the two old ladies take mama home and help her relax. And the Reverend later stumbles into mama's house beaten and begs for her forgiveness on his hands and knees when a knock at the door interrupts them. He begs for her prayers to save his soul and then hides because the little old ladies come back in to reveal that people are looking for Reverend Jenkins with bloodhounds. And this idiot who's hiding in the kitchen drops the broom next to him twice. He makes noise, twice which sets the little old ladies off so they offer to clean her kitchen because she is sick of heartbreak but she is able to get them to leave and then he comes back out on his hands and knees begging and the screen just reads forgiven then mama relaxes into her chair and the reverend leaves and tries to snake through the woods but of course someone runs up behind him and a fight ensues and this kid is no match for the Reverend who easily knocks him out several times, nearly killing the young boy, beating him with a bat. A lot happens in the final three minutes of this film. And then when Mama awakens the next day, we discover it was all a goddamn motherfucking dream. All of it. And Isabelle and her man, Sylvester, once again walk in to ask Mama for her hand in marriage saying Sylvester's invention has had some success, but then Mama says she'll give all of the Bible money to the young couple. Flash forward to Mama peacefully reading in a nice-ass living room, much different from their shack, when Isabel and Sylvester return from their honeymoon, dressed in floor-length furs, hair did up real nice. I mean, their living room got drapes and shit, grand pianos and shit. They're all so happy and beautiful, and then they all embrace and live happily ever after. The end. This movie is nuts. Absolutely nuts. The plot is full of twists and turns that are hard to keep up with, but it keeps you on your toes the entire time. And at the end, two plot twists that completely changed the film? My heart was racing. Julia Teresa Russell, who plays Isabel, is magnificent. Even without words her physicality just exudes despair she is helpless and it's beautiful to watch her character arc over the course of the film this film is also hilarious and you really have to watch that final church scene in which they beat him with bibles because that is how I always imagine I'd be greeted if I ever stepped foot into a church I think it's a spectacular film and I keep coming back to it over and over and over again because the plot is so well executed I'll give this one a 9 out of 10 money-filled Bibles. Next week, we're going to conclude our summer series. But no worries, I've saved the best for last. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Blacklist. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and like this podcast on iTunes and leave us a five star review if you feel so inclined. I know it seems like such a small thing, but it does go a long way. And if you want to learn more about us, please like us on Facebook at The Black List and follow us on Twitter at The Blacklist Pod. And also feel free to follow my personal Twitter at Mariah N. Woods. All episodes of The Blacklist are written, narrated, edited, and produced by Mariah. Raya Woods, me. Until next time.